This show is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Without a healthy mind, being happy is hard. Visit BetterHelp.com slash peer and see if online therapy is for you. Yo, the podcast people listen one and only legend of winning, a.k.a. Low. We're here with another episode of the Peer-to-Peer Podcast. On my left, I have my co-host, Agent Zero. Say what up. Hey, man. What's good with y'all? Behind the uh, producer desk, we got producer John. Say what up. What's going on, y'all? How y'all doing? <laughs> oh, John. Sorry to cut you off. We're doing runs at the OTE Arena next week if you're down. Is I, know that, you, is, I know you said you wanted to. Is that the last Where? Tuesday? I, I don't want to say the exact day because people know the place and they're just going to show up. But, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 okay. Dropping more than eight. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You better be there too, low. Actually, might be there. You should pull up. No cap, you should pull up. No, no, no. They want you in the next broadcast, Marcel. All right, I might be They said so, man. Um, and finally, we have a special guest here today, Pierre. Pierre Laguerre. Like Thank you. Good, 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 good. A lot of people want to know about finances, so that's the reason why it was a good, good guest selection, because we get that question all the time on the guests. A lot of young... Um, up and coming entrepreneurs, you know, mm-hmm. good good guests to have on. Damn, we have a very relevant ad for this podcast. We do actually. Now that now I think about it, yeah. Um, but anyway, um, shout out to my podcast people on all audio platforms: Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Continue to race a five star on YouTube. Make sure you hit the subscribe button. Click all the links in the description. Hit the notification bell to join Nodi Gang, 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 Gang. And finally, shout out to my word of mouth people out there as well. Keeping us in tune on all other platforms. Uh, I guess the the first thing, Pierre. Hold on, hold on. Well, I can't just let that slide. Why did you intro it like that? You've never done that before. That's so odd. Hmm. Okay. Scared. Yeah, it might be what it oh, is. God. It might be what it is. <laughs> we usually have a bit in the beginning where we test our guests. I guess Marcel yeah. just skipped that past that part, but well, you, scared, you scared him. <laughs> you scared him. <laughs> Come on, we could do the test. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it's too late. It's too late. Now. It's too late. It's too late. It's too late. Anyway, yeah. um, P, I guess, uh, I guess to inch, kick it's things off, bitch. I guess, <laughs> I guess, explain. Um, who you are, what you're doing, fleeting, all the other things that you're involved with and stuff like that. Or really just, I guess, where everything kind of kicked off with before we kind of get deep into all your other um, endeavors and stuff like that. Yeah, um, absolutely, man. Thank you. Uh, for me, my background started pretty much in trucking. Uh, I got my CDL very early. I would say in early 2001 or two, I believe. And the reason I getting my CDL was because I was trying to escape, you know, a marginalized, dangerous community in Brooklyn, East Flatbush, New York. Oh, wow. And Can you explain what that is, CDL? A CDL, commercial driver's license. That's a license that you actually use to operate um, tractor trailers. So there's different class. There's A, B, C, but the most common one, you know, is A and B. Mm-hmm. A is for the, you know, the tractor trailer with the combination. You got the, the truck and then you have the trailer. And then class B is like a box truck. It's like a straight truck. Mm-hmm. So pretty much that, yeah. So getting my CDL was kind of, you know, my ticket out of that community. And from there, man, learned a lot, became my own operator, purchased my first truck, um, built a staffing agency um, in a trucking company to $4.5 million in revenue under three years. And also now just being in the tech space, you know, our goal is now we're building a tech platform, which is what fleeting is. And we like to say fleeting is the Airbnb of trucking. And the reason for that is we understand, especially in today's age, Everybody want to get in trucking, right? Uh-huh. So there's two types of people we see that want to get in trucking. One that say, hey, I would love to own a truck and make money on it passively. And then two, you got the other group of people that say, hey, I would love to learn trucking and run my own operation. Mm-hmm. We focus on the latter. The people that actually want to get their trucks 
um, and make passive income on there, we allow them to do that. So anyone can own a truck. They can register the truck onto our platform. Our platform manages everything from drivers, freight, settlement, compliance, and let them receive a, a passive income monthly. And also just became the first uh, became the first black man that raised over a million dollars from a crowdfunding platform uh, with SCC and Republic. And also raised uh, about $3 million to date from institutional investors, um, Arlen Hamilton, Chameleonaire, E40, Hustle Fund, just to name a few, Lockstep Ventures. I mean, there's there's a few, but I'm actually excited to be here. So thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of things we got to touch base on because when I was doing research, that number was 2.5. Now you tell me it's 4.8. It's pretty pretty impressive. Yes, huh? it is. 2.5 on a staffing agency. Okay. Yeah, I did a staffing agency, which I grew to 2.5 million in revenue under 18 months. And then also there was a trucking company I started right after okay. and grew that to $1.7 million in the first nine months. Jeez. Bro. Yeah. All right, there's a lot of breakdown. All right, so <laughs> we, go, we go back to the beginning. What kind of, what kind of pushed you in this direction? Because I, I know um, I have a few people in my family who went into trucking, and very similar to what mm-hmm. you said, trucking, especially for a lot of minorities and, and um, inner cities, that's kind of like the one thing that they kind of fall back on I've seen consistently, especially in terms of labor, not in the South, it's a lot more like um, labor in terms of, you know, cutting grass and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I've realized that up North, a lot of my um, family members, older family members, that's what they kind of pivot to almost immediately. Mm-hmm. So what, where did that come from? And what did you notice, like the troubles in, in, in that field that kind of pivot you into the direction you are right now? Man, um, uh, that's a good question. I think for me it was, uh, I was born and raised in Haiti. I came here when I was 15. Um, came here with a dream of becoming a neurologist. And unfortunately, where I landed when I came here, which was Brooklyn in the early 90s, and Flatbush, I quickly realized there was no way I'm going to graduate alive and become a neurologist. So the fear of becoming a product of my environment, the fear of becoming a, a statistic to that community, I was always looking for a way to escape. Um, I, after I graduated high school, my uncle took me on this cruise, and it's important to say that because that cruise kind of changed my entire perception of my own community. That's when I realized that the world did not revolve around the shitty community that I live at, right? Yeah. There was a lot better places that the world had yeah. to offer. And after that, I went to college, studied electrical engineering for my first year. But unfortunately, like I said, when we came here, it was my mom and my four sisters. My dad wasn't around. So I had to become a man early. So there were times I couldn't even, I didn't even have money to get on the train to go to school, Right. So I said, you know what? Hell with it, man. I'm just going to drop out and get my CDL. And it started from there. Got my CDL. Worked for XPO Logistics for the first three years. Then went to work for Performance Food Group. And that company, I started doing food deliveries actually in the same college that I was going to. And I was somewhat ashamed and embarrassed about going in there and make deliveries until I ran into one of my professors. He was like, what's going on, Pierre? Why you look like you're hiding? I said, yes, I am hiding. Like, I dropped out of school, but here I am delivering waters here now. I said, I don't want to look like a loser. He said, well, how much you make in a year? At the time, I was doing about, what, 93K a year? And in he's college? Like, I, yeah. No no. no, no, no. When I dropped out of college, well, I started driving out of trucks. College. Okay. I was making 93K a year. Wow. And he said, wow, Pierre, look, half of these kids is going to graduate. They're not going to see 93K. He said, I want you to own it, be powerful, and it'll be the best trucker you can be in this country. And as cheesy as it may sound, that really resonated with me. And I think a year later, I purchased my own truck and became my own operator. Uh, like I said, built businesses in the space. One thing I quickly realized when, you, when I became an owner operator was that there is no ecosystem in trucking that teach drivers about entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. that teach truckers how to understand their unit economics, that teach truckers how to build relationship with, you know, with their shipper, with broker partners. So that was one of the biggest challenges that I realized myself. And quickly, I went to Wagner College. Wagner College had a time that they had, they had a course for supply chain logistics. I said, you know what? Maybe I need to learn a little bit more because on in my truck, I was getting my butt kicked, right? 
So I went to Wagner, took that course. Um, it was about a six-month course, and it kind of showed me trucking on a macro level. Mm. But I was much more eager to keep learning trucking on a micro level, on a day-to-day operation, the boots on the ground. And that kind of led me to, you know, seeing the challenges from the shipper's pain point, from the carrier's pain point, from the driver's pain point, or from an operational standpoint. And that led me to say, you know what, I think I have what it takes to build a company that actually solves some of the problems that I've witnessed myself and mm. currently drivers are going through today as we speak. That's crazy because, you know... Yeah, we commend college dropouts on this platform. <laughs> we, all, all of us in here in this room are college dropouts. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so it's, um, yeah. I, I think that is very odd to how society kind of does push everybody in that direction without any real true guidance. And that was probably the, the biggest problem I had as well when I was graduating high school going to that path, that it really wasn't, it really wasn't any true guidance to what was next. It was just, this is what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And there was no actual end goal, especially in terms of uh, financial and money management, even on like on a, on a basic day-to-day, what every person has to do, which really kind of concerned me. So yeah, and we, we, nah. we ain't bashing you know, <laughs> no, uh, no, we ain't bad. No, 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 there's no, nothing wrong with that. Over here. No. <laughs> uh, so well, you, now you're in the field, now you're um, getting more into trucking. What was the um, the leap of faith moment or when the moment you kind of decide, okay, let me take what I'm earning to kind of pivot and, and reinvest it into myself to kind of go in that direction to kind of build something of your own? Yeah, man. Actually, that's a long story because that took me a whole lot. I went through hell, really, to be where I am today. And I just want people to understand, like, you know, your current situation never determined your final destination. For sure. And for, for me, the thing was, when I was a driver and when I became, when I got my truck, and after I finished Wagner's um, course or the class, I got into a car accident, right? Mm-hmm. And I was out of work for 11 months. Now I'm going through a divorce. I'm never home, right, as a trucker, which is the challenge that dr- uh, truck drivers go through on a day-to-day basis, right? So for me, it was I was having that home challenge was the one thing. Going through a divorce. Now I'm out of work for 11 months. My car got repo, right? Yeah. Four months later, my truck got repo. Yeah. So now I find myself moving right back to Brooklyn where I had left, when I started driving and moved to the suburban, suburban side of New Jersey. So now when I got back to Brooklyn, it was pretty much, I was, I was on my ass, right? And that summer, I believe it was 2014, and I read a book called What the CEO Wants You to Know. And I think every entrepreneur should read that book. And my takeaway from that book was volume and profit margin, right? And I started thinking to myself, okay, well, what is it that I can start right now? I don't have a job. Um, my truck is down. I can't work. So I said, well, maybe, you know what, maybe I'll start something. Maybe I'll start selling buttons and start selling zippers, and I'll go to China and buy them in bulk and then come back over here and sell them. I wasn't that creative. But one thing I did see in Brooklyn was, since I was walking everywhere, I was seeing windows, right, from the beauty salons, the barbershop, and everything else. And I said to myself, I said, well, who's cleaning those windows? I said, well, if I could get, you know, 100 store, pay me $10 per store, I said, I could make $1,000 a week. And I went and told a friend about it. He laughed at me. He was like, man, people are going to think you're a crackhead. I said, why you say that? He said, well, if you look around, nobody else is cleaning windows but crackhead. And that really resonated with me. I said, you know what? That is true, but we look clean right now, but we don't have nothing in our pocket at all. I said, I'd rather look like a crackhead with some money than look clean and have nothing at all. Right? So he said, that's true. He said, if you get 70 stores, if you get 50 stores, I'll do it with you. Following morning, I said, deal. We made a bet. I woke up. I solicited pretty much the entire Brooklyn, New York, man, knocking on doors. Hi, my name is Pierre. I have a service that specializes in glass cleaning. We'll do it for X, Y, and Z. That same day, I had 72 store that agreed for me to clean their glass. Jeez. 
Went home, borrowed $70 from my little sister, went to Home Depot, got me some bucket, got me a squinchy, and started cleaning windows, man, in the hood. Like, now I had to swallow all my pride. Remember, I was a truck driver. Yeah. I'm driving a BMW. I come back to the, my old community. People see me, and now they're seeing Pierre cleaning the windows in the, yeah. in, in the hood. They're like, oh, my God, this guy's on crack, right? They're like, Pierre done lost it. And, how old were you at this time? At the time, I'm, I'm, I'm 38 now. That was what, I was about, what, 30 years old, probably? 30. Yeah, about 30 yeah. years old. And from there, man, it just, you know, in three months, we made $62,000 cleaning glass. And I took that money. That's how I started my first staffing agency. You made $62,000? How glass. much were you charging per, like, per? Uh, so the thing was, so certain storefront, it'll be $10, but then I had supermarkets. I had bank, I had dental offices, mm. right? I had a lot of stores. So it's like some places was paying $120 to get their windows clean, you know what I'm saying, for the week. So we really scaled that. And one thing we did was... We started hiring young brothers in the community yeah. and started to scale it and kind of give them their own route to go out there and clean windows. So that's how we was able to scale that and took that money and never looked back. Built a staffing agency. And the reason I built a staffing agency was because, again, as a driver myself, I realized the real challenges for truckers. Truckers is always looking for a company that can provide some level of flexibility, treat them like a human being as opposed to being uh, treated as a commodity. And mm-hmm. that's the norm in trucking. Truckers are being treated like trash and at the same time i realized trucking companies was always looking for great talent great drivers so i used the same concept that i've learned from um what the ceo wants you to know so i said same thing again profit and volume um volume and profit margin so i said well what if i start a company where i hire the drivers groom them right to what i think the trucking companies would want and then outsource those drivers to those trucking companies how would that work and eventually i scale that company to 2.5 million in revenue so you went from how, how how quickly was it? Two point five. Two point five. Eighteen months. Eighteen months. So yeah, you, you went from cleaning windows, cleaning windows <laughs> in, in a six month span, yep, or three three to six month span, yep, to two point five in eighteen. In eighteen months. months. So pretty much went from ashy to classy in just about eighteen months. In a sense, that's crazy. <laughs> that's nuts. So when, when you're when you're growing this, um, what's the just just on a on a in terms of just money management level or just trying to build mm-hmm. something, what are some of the lessons that you kind of had to learn or force yourself to kind of understand? Because I, I think a lot of our um, viewers, they kind of want to understand in terms of saving or mm-hmm. putting aside money, stuff like that. Oh, cash flow. Cash, cash flow. Cash flow was, like, if anybody's listening, like, listen, cash is the oxygen of your business. Just like ear. <laughs> we need that. It's our oxygen. Like, cash is the oxygen of your business. So I think learning, understanding ca- um, cash flow, understanding, you know, profit margin and understanding operational costs, understand fixed costs, understanding variable costs. So I think the more I started understanding those things, the better I start making better decisions, not just for myself or the company, but for the bottom line as well. So I think it's very important for entrepreneurs to understand that. Remember, again, I didn't go to the, I didn't go to Harvard. I didn't go to Yale, yeah. right? I don't have an MBA. So everything I've learned pretty much, and as much as I talk about the millions that I've made, but I also lost millions because of lack of, I mean, being ignorant with certain things that I just didn't know. But I would say, like, you know, learning to really manage your cash flow was the number one thing that I had to learn. And so, it, unfortunately, it took some unfortunate situation for me to really yeah. get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when, ter- when you was growing in 18 months, I mean, how many people are we, how big is this operation at the end of the 18 month span? So, here was the crazy part, right? I was the only person. I was the, only, the person. only person. I was the driver, the supervisor, the dispatcher, the sales guy. I was everything in that company. So I was the one really, when I was making calls to get companies to become my customers, there wasn't answering the phone. So I started really going straight to their location and knocking on the door. 
say I have my name is Pierre. Same thing I did with the window cleaning business. I so, said my name is Pierre. Go ahead. I'm curious what your expenses are in that business. Um, expenses is on, on a staffing agency model. Mm-hmm. The biggest expense you're gonna have on that is workers' comp. And at the time, it was in New Jersey. New Jersey is one of the worst state <laughs> to get workers' comp because you actually you literally paying about what almost nineteen dollars per hundred. So every hundred dollars you pay an employee, you have to give the state of New Jersey nineteen dollars. So imagine wait, average. Wait, 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 yeah. What is what? what okay. What maybe I'm forgetting. Maybe forgive me for my ignorance. Mm-hmm. What is workers' comp? Because I don't know. Paying nineteen dollars to the state is crazy. Very, very crazy. Workers' comp is pretty much just like an insurance, right, for your employees. Like if okay. they get hurt, right, while they're hurt or while they're recuperating or recovering, and they could still kind of get some income, so they're not just really pretty much on their own. But even then, people that actually file workers' comp claim, they don't ever get get the money while they're waiting. They usually get the money after everything is done and they went back to work. So yeah, they tell you workers' comp help you when you out of work. But before, how it was, the state used to pay the workers' comp for companies, right? Yeah. And I think, I forgot under which president or under which, um, can't remember, please, I'm not too, poli- yeah, not too exactly. political, but I know that changed, and this is where the state now required companies to carry their own workers' comp. Is this, for, this is for employees, right? Yeah, this is for your employees. Okay. And that is the thing about it, is like, if you don't have that workers' comp, they'll, they can find you. So let's say if you're one of my drivers, and you work for me, and you get hurt, Right, and I don't have workers' comp in place. One, you can sue me for not having workers' comp. Two, now the state could come after me for not having workers' comp for my drivers. So workers' comp was one of the biggest bills that I had running that business. And to be honest with you, it was tearing away the profit as a small business. And this is the major problem in America today is that America thrive on small businesses, yeah. right? But unfortunately, small businesses find themselves in certain situations that they just can't get out of. Yeah. Again, your small businesses, your, your, your access to, to cash is being minimum. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So when you squeeze small businesses, they don't have the ability to compete with the larger players. So this is why a lot of us remain as small businesses because, again, that cash flow. You're talking about insurance. You're talking about employment taxes. You're talking about all those things that could be very, very expensive very fast. Damn. Uh, okay, if if we... um, Because that's great. So does that also apply in Georgia or that's just like a, a state by state? So it, it is, yeah, it varies state by state. Okay, okay. So certain states, they have different... But it's like the only difference you'll see is it might be cheaper, yeah, cheaper. in Georgia. Right, cool. So, But there's another program. I can't remember the name of it now that actually kind of help you offset that if you really can't afford it. It's like a pool. It's just like, you know, buying, buying into a medical plan. Like you could go okay, into okay. A, a pool and it becomes a lot cheaper. So you can actually do that by the workers comp through a pool where now instead of you paying $19 per 100, I believe it's about $3 per 100 that you're paying for the oh, driver. That's nothing. Yeah. Um, damn, I'm lucky we don't have to pay that. I just have contractors. I don't think I have a single employee that's not me um, to, to my own businesses. But we're like we're insured. We have like all the general business liability insurance, okay. errors and emissions insurance. Uh, renters insurance because we kind of work out of our own home so cool. but luckily we don't have to pay 19 per 100 oh yeah lucky trust that's, me georgia that's that's, that's why i moved my entire business to georgia i'm headquartered in in atlanta now oh, so i'm not yeah. in new york no more oh that's yeah, yeah. That's, that's definitely a, a thing to do yep I, i've learned that too because especially the same thing with cali people lo- moving from places yep. where there's just like the it's crazy either taxes or certain type of law set in place to kind of I, I do believe probably bottleneck a lot of um small businesses so um but you you you've grown it 2.5 okay so that's that's the staffing though that's the staffing yep so when you got done with the staffing how did that translate to 
the fleet the trucking. Yeah, the tr- the trucking. So, um, so from when I had the staffing, I had got a point where I had a lot more drivers than I had customers to place those drivers, right? Oh, okay. Trucking companies. Because, again, I was the only person running the company. I still have to run operation. I still have to make sure that I'm dispatching all the drivers to the right location at the yeah. time. And I'm doing this on a spreadsheet. I mean, on a spreadsheet. No technology, right? Yeah. And... I think when we got to the point where I think we had reached about almost 92-something drivers, so I had more drivers than places that I can put them. I said, okay, well, I have all these drivers, right? Most companies, they're struggling to find drivers. But here I am with a pull of drivers. That's not only drivers, but loyal drivers, too, because they appreciated the the level of flexibility they was able to get from our company. Because, again, they was like, look, P, I don't ever want to work for another trucking company because you sent us a list. For on a Sunday and ask, okay, who's available to work for the week? Please let your time know. So everybody would get to work on their term as yeah. opposed to working, you know, Monday through Saturday or being on the road for 30, 40 days. So the, that really resonated with the driver. So when I realized that I had too many drivers, I said, you know what? I have all these drivers and I don't have a place to put them. What I should have did was hire a salesperson to go and get more accounts yeah. to put these drivers in. Because unfortunately, again... I'm not thinking. Yeah. I'm just thinking small at the time. So you don't even have a business partner to kind of like bounce ideas No, sir. Off? No, sir. Yeah. This is just me. And I said, you know what? I'm going to start a trucking company. I did have partners now. Um, shout out to Sean and Julio. They was the very first believers that really um, came into the company. Because when I was starting it, after I took the money from the cleaning window business and split it with my friends, I was still short $5,000 for insurance. Mm. So Sean and Julio... Is the one that came in and helped out with that 5000 okay. So they've been my partner ever since. But the thing was, Sean is in construction. Julio is an engineer. They don't know nothing about transportation, yeah, right? For sure, for so, but they're just, they're good businessmen. They have good business acumen. And I said, you know what? Let's push this and get beyond it. So we decided, I said, hey, look, let's start a trucking company. And we started with three trucks. Mm-hmm. And in nine months, man, we scaled that to 26 trucks and did over $1.7 million in revenue mm-hmm. that first year. And that's because we had more drivers than places that we could put them. So I'm assuming when, you, when, you, when you're starting the trucking company, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of money up front. Is that, is that out of your pocket? or I'm, No, I'm pretty sure it's not out of your pocket. So I'm pretty, that's where the crowdfunding comes from. No, the crowdfunding wasn't even then yet. That oh, wasn't wow. even there yet. Uh-huh. Like, so crowdfunding was literally, um, I think I started the, uh, the trucking company in 2016, I believe. And I didn't get into tech until 2018. And then I didn't raise that that twenty that million dollar that I've raised and became the first black man. That was literally last year, last July. Oh damn! Yeah, so that was recently. But from there, once I was running a trucking company, I was running a trucking company with twenty six trucks, mm-hmm. a staffing agency with ninety two drivers. Yeah. Of course, eventually I went through a burnout. Right, yeah, like yeah, I was okay. saying, I was the driver, the supervisor. I was everything in the yeah. company. And I remember days I used to get on my knees and cry in the yard, like begging God, like for help, like God, please send me somebody, send me a mentor, send me somebody that can really show me how to really manage those businesses. Maybe I'm taking on too much. And then, like they said, when it rains, a poor. Um, my third child was born in 2017, and he was born with Down syndrome. So that started really affected me personally, emotionally, financially. I just really couldn't deal with it. I didn't even care about no business then, because once they told me that my son was gonna have Down syndrome and he was gonna need multiple open heart surgery. Mentally, that started messing with me. For sure. And from there, things really started falling apart little by little. Like I said, I didn't care about no drivers. I didn't care about no customers. I didn't care about nothing but my little man staying alive. Yeah. And when he was finally born, you know, things really was getting bad. It went from bad to worse. Then he went into his first surgery. Like, I wouldn't even go into the office. Like, I'm not answering drivers' call. Customers is calling me. Like, it was just hard, right? Yeah. And like you said, I didn't have nobody to bounce that to. It's just like yeah. just me just dealing with it. And when he went into his first surgery, everything was okay. 
Drivers calling me, say, what's going on? I see all the trucks parked. I need to work. Like, you know, I don't want to go nowhere else. What is it that we can do? My son did. He went into the second surgery. Things got even way worse, right? And then that thing, I remember that's when all my drivers was like, yo, man, what's going on? Let us run the company for you. We don't want to go work for nobody else because you're really giving us a good opportunity here. Yeah. You're helping me feed my family. You know, I get to take my daughter to school in the morning. So I said, you know what? Let me throw a party together just so I could explain to all my drivers. So I invited all the drivers to dinner and explained to them exactly what was going on in my personal life and about my son. And that night, man, it's another thing, man. Your tongue is very powerful. Mm. Your tongue will speak life or death into you or your business. And I remember I was just so stressed after having a party with them because I had a call. I had to rush to the hospital because my son had an internal bleeding while he just came from surgery. And I was just fed up, man. And I said, God, like, I just, won't you just send somebody to just blow my head open and take me out my misery? Mm. And literally, I said that about, what, 10 p.m.? Uh, before, what, about 1, 2 in the morning, man, I was in the hospital with my head split open from an attempt carjacking robbery in Brooklyn, New York. So, um, it's really bad. Yeah. So, that really kind of, I'm sorry, that really, really set me back. So, this is me right here. Damn. And that's my son. Damn. Oh, wow. Yep. For um, S5 Audi and a Cuban link chain, a bracelet, and a Rolex watch. Of course, I was, I think, I, I blame myself now sometimes when I think about it. Yeah. Because, you know, decided to fight for them. Yeah. Didn't realize that my life was <laughs> worth more than those yeah, jewelry. Way more, yeah. But then again, you have to understand, we come from a community, right? Where they tell us nobody's going to take my ish without fighting yeah. back for it. For sure. So I think adapting to that mentality really cost me. So now I find myself in a hospital. You want to see it? <laughs> you want to see it? Oh, no, I'm sorry, man. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, can show yeah, it to the audience, yeah, too, if you want to. Um, I'm okay. Yeah, yeah, you can show no, it to the audience. Probably. You think we can? Probably, yeah. all right. Close, yeah. Man. So, yeah, man, so... So now I find myself in a hospital fighting for my life right across the street from the hospital where my son is at fighting for his life. Now we're both in the hospital. He's in there for open heart surgery. I'm in there with my head, my skull cracked open. My forehead is not real. I have a titanium plate in my forehead. So pretty much I was out of it, man. So it was bad. You just be saying shit just casually. Like, yeah, my forehead not real. Yeah, it's not real, man. I mean, hey. Man. Million. You just rattling shit off. Damn. Nah, man. But I think God, God was with me, man. To be honest with you, the thing was, when I was running those two companies, I was making good money, man. Like, I was living the best life. But I felt like I I, I heard the voice in my head. God was like, son, I got you. I got something better yeah. for you. Turn your head to me. I was like, God, look, I got a business to run. My son is in the hospital. I'm going to get with you later. Like, you understand? I got yeah. things to do. I kept always putting God off. Like, I was always putting it off. And, man, when I was in the hospital, I had every minute in the world, man, to speak with him. Spent 14 days in the hospital. And what kept me alive was... Uh, my son's doctor or his surgeon kept coming to my room. He's like, man, your son, you want to be here. This kid, you know, he's a fighter. And I'm like, man, this kid is three months old. He want to fight. He don't even know who he, <laughs> he expecting in this world, but he want to be here. And that's when I said, God, if he can fight for his life, I could fight too. I said, there's no way I'm giving up. But at the same token, if I tell you as a black man, after my injuries that I didn't want revenge, I didn't want to kill, I didn't want blood, I'd be lying. I wanted revenge. But I also think it was also those 14 days that I think I had a moment again to connect with God. And that's when I realized, I said to myself, I said, well, if I pick up a gun or a knife and go and retaliate, what am I actually solving? Do you know who did it? I don't know who did it per se, but 
I, if I seen their face, I know who they are. But I know the restaurant where it happened. That literally, I went into a restaurant, and it was late night, and they was really being belligerent in there. Like, so I know the place. So when I said I was gonna go for revenge, I was gonna really do something bad in that restaurant. So again, thank God, I'm not. I never really talk about it that much that way. But now I'm starting to own it, being yeah, no, a little bit real. more mature about yeah, myself. Yeah. But from there, man, I said, you know what? I said, there's nothing I'm going to solve if I go out there and pick a gun and do anything. I said, one, I lose the, um, running the risk of losing my life. Yeah. Two, I might just get caught and do 25 to life. Now, my kids, my three beautiful children is going to probably now live their life without a father in their life. I said, I said, this is exactly what happened in our community. So I didn't want to be that same black man that perpetrated the vicious cycle that we see every day. So I was like, you know what? It stops with me. Or be the statistic like you were saying earlier. Yep. I said, it stops with me. And my friends was looking at me like, what? Is this, are you crazy? You on there? I was like, go to sleep. You on drugs. You still have like, no, leave it alone. Literally came out of surgery. They was like, no, what are you talking about? It's like, leave it alone. And I told my friends, I said, if any one of y'all do something, I myself will testify against y'all. I will call the police and call them and tell them that y'all went and did something. And they had no choice but to leave it alone. But also it was in there that I said, you know what, God? I said, I find this very appalling that our nation, this country is short a million truck drivers. Meanwhile, we have communities where there's young men and young women looking for opportunities. They don't know which way to turn. Yeah. The only thing they could do is take from somebody that looked like they have it. So to me, that's when my mission came in. I said, God, if you get me at this hospital alive, I will build another company. I will add tech and I will add technology to build a sustainable and scalable company. So I can go back to those same communities and teach young men how to get their CDL and become entrepreneurs and become truckers and eventually become fleet owners or executive in the supply chain logistics space. And I came out the hospital 14 days later, man, pitching fleet into investors. Didn't have nothing. It was just an idea on a napkin. Pitching the idea to investors. Now, when you're raising money from investors, it's not. this is not a easy thing, uh, task, right? Yeah. So for me, it was just like straight out of trucking, talking about you want to raise capital. Investors was looking at me like, okay, well, who's this guy? Number one, you don't fit in the country club. You didn't go to Yale. You didn't go to Harvard. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you don't have that, um, that kind of background to be saying you want to raise capital. And, of course, as we all probably know that, it's very hard for black founders to raise institutional capital, right? If you look at the, the Ubers of the world, the Airbnbs of the world, Facebook of this world, all these people was able to really get an investor to give them that startup capital mm -hmm. to be where they're at and continue investing in them until they eventually become publicly traded or multi-billion dollar companies. For sure. So I went, I said, you know what, if they can do it, I, I could do it too. And I saw another company that was at the time was Convoy, and Convoy was pretty much creating a platform that allowed truck drivers to connect directly with shippers. But for me, I didn't see that it was really adding value to truck drivers. It was adding a lot of values to shippers, allow shippers to be a little, you know, to have a little bit more transparency on who's coming to pick up their freight and when the freight get delivered. So I said, you know what, there was nobody building anything that speaks directly to the driver challenge, right? Yeah. My divorce was because, like I said, I was on the road. Like, you understand? My weight, like, you know, my stomach was literally on top of my steering wheel, right, when I was driving trucks, and the food option is horrible. And drivers don't have no upward mobility. Drivers pretty much tired of starting as a driver and dying as a driver with no way to move up. So I said, you know what? I can solve this problem. Why don't we create a model and leverage technology where the drivers, the same staffing agency that I was doing, I said, well, what if I apply technology to that and scale it? Because it was the whole thing was now trucking companies can just, you know, download the um, mobile platform, agree to the tire agreement, agree to the rates. And whenever one of their drivers call out, they could go right into the mobile app and request a driver. And our driver will show up to their location and do the job and go about their way. So, like I said, um, my first year, I couldn't raise a dime. It was just straightly getting 
booed on stage sometime when you pitching, yeah. you know, like embarrassing myself. Couldn't even answer some of the questions. But every time I go on stage and pitch, it's like, you know, the questions, even though I couldn't answer them, I would go back home and do the homework. And I said, okay, how do I answer those financial questions? How do I answer those market questions? How do I answer the scale questions? And once the more I started doing my research, and then I started winning a lot of pitch competitions. To date, I've won a total of, what, a quarter of a million dollars in pitch competition alone. I won a pitch competition with Chameleon there for 100K. I won pitch competition at Harvard, which was my dream school, and won pitch competition there as well. And from there, it just kind of, you know, then we got accepted by Quake Capital. Quake Capital is a uh, tech accelerator. Okay. So tech accelerator, right, most tech companies we're using today, they went through an accelerator. Like Airbnb, they went to um, Y Combinator. Y Combinator is like one of the biggest tech accelerators that you can go into. So what a tech accelerator is, if you have an idea mm-hmm. to build a technology or product or whatever to solve anything, if the idea sounds sound and is good yeah. and the market is big enough to where you investors can see a potential where they could make a multi-billion dollar return or yeah. 10x return or 100x return on their money they'll invest in that idea and actually push it so that's what it was for me just went to quake learned a lot in the first three months quake invested three hundred thousand dollars into the idea yeah. and from there from the accelerator we learned everything about you know how go to market strategy how to hire talent you know, how to scale, how to raise more capital from investors, understanding team, understanding product. So all of that really became very super helpful. Um, and that was in 2018. Um, I'm sorry, that was 2019. And that's when we actually launched Fleeting in 2019, mm-hmm. July of 2019. And now to date, we've done over over $4 million in revenue. And again, and we've raised almost $3 million, uh, oh, just about $3 million in um, million dollars from investors that we've raised as well. Mm-hmm. So Fleeting was totally different was the new company that I started after I got injured yeah. and my staffing agency and my trucking company pretty much hit rock bottom in a sense. Well, you yeah. got to find a question or not. Mm, I'm just learning. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when, when, so let me, this is just so clarification. So Fleeting is essentially almost like a, almost like a, just an app almost, like where people Correct. come on, like if you're a driver, mm-hmm. just in case somebody like hypothetically in Walmart missed, somebody didn't come pick up or whatever, drop off and they need to find the driver. Pretty immediately, if you're flexible, kind of on your own time, you can go there. That's what we were initially when we first went to market. So when we first launched in 2019, that's exactly what it was, right? But then, boom, the pandemic hit, right? Hundreds of trucking companies going out of business. And in a tech space, when you're building a marketplace, there's this challenge that we talk about um, all the time is the chicken and the egg situation, right? Which one comes first? Does mm-hmm. the chicken or the egg come first? Yeah. So it's the same thing with us when you're building a marketplace. So you have the supply here and you have the demand, right? So we have the drivers and you have the trucking companies to build. So you have to build both of them in tandem. So what we ran into is like certain places will have hundreds of drivers or thousands of drivers, but not enough accounts yeah. to put them in. Okay. Or other places will have hundreds of accounts and not enough drivers to put them in. So the pandemic happened, we realized, okay, well, this right here could be a potential issue for us when it comes to scaling, right? Yeah. Because, again, that's what investors want. Investors want you to be able to build a business that can really scale yeah. to become a multi-billion dollar company in 10 years' time. Yeah. So for us, we realized that early on. That was one of the good lessons that we've learned. And then our team, we said, okay, well, let's start thinking. Maybe we should start sending drivers to, you know, small trucking companies because when the pandemic happened, another thing that actually happened it really exposed to people the opportunity trucking has to offer. So everybody now is at home, not working, and the only thing that was moving was trucks. Yeah. So everybody's like, wait, hold up. Maybe truck is a good, viable option for me to just, you know, just to make an investment. Yeah. So we had a bunch of people getting into trucking, buying trucks. 
So we said, okay, well, let's start sending our drivers to these small trucking companies. Instead of targeting, like, you know, the UPS, the Walmart, we said, let's go after the small carriers. But one thing we realized, that was another challenge itself, was that drivers now coming back and tell us, hey, why you have me working for Joe Schmo Trucking? They don't know how to dispatch me. This person just got a trucking company the other day. So that's when we realized, it's like, okay, this right here is not good. We can't be sending drivers to companies that don't even know how to operate their businesses. But that's when we realized, again, that informal market of people that was just buying trucks because they thought trucking was a viable investment. And we said, you know what? We have the drivers. We have the experience. Why don't we build a platform? Let's pivot this platform to Airbnb for trucking. First, they call us the Uber of trucking, right? Now it's like Airbnb of trucking. So I would say, like, if Uber and Airbnb had a baby, it will be fleeting, right? So in a sense, so it's like, we said, okay, well, let's take all the trucks. Instead of you coming to me, you just got your trucking company, you don't know how to run operation, and me sending you a driver and run the risk of losing that driver because he's unhappy, what I would say to you, Marcel, I said, you know what, Marcel? Hey, look, unfortunately, I cannot send you no more drivers, but what we can do is you can list your truck onto our platform and we'll manage everything for you because we knew how to manage the drivers better. Oh, we knew how okay. to run operation oh, better. Okay, you see okay, what I mean? Okay, okay, so okay. we understand the market a lot better. We understand how to go after the right shipping Damn, partners. that's a good idea. Yeah, Damn, so... Correct. So now yeah, we said, you know idea. what? Instead what of sending fuck? drivers to these companies, I said, you know what? You just give us your truck and we'll manage everything from beginning to end and let you get a passive income. And we saw that there was a lot. Of, as a matter of fact, man, we have a waiting list of 295 trucks we onboarding. We have another one of 71 trucks that we onboarding. So there's a lot of people that bought trucks, but the trucks was literally sit down, sitting down with no drivers in them. And they was paying high insurance and high truck note. So what type of passive income is that? If I, if I bought a truck and I enlisted it on your platform, how like what type of... Because is that like a, a viable passive income like where I can like earn... Uh, a living passive income, or is it just like I can pay a couple of bills here and there? Well, I mean, income? what is what is a living, right, on passive income, right? But fair, I know, yeah, yeah. Fair, but for us, we tell passive income is we tell investors they should be expecting about a thousand dollars a week, net after expenses. After expenses? after expenses, after fuel, toll, oh, everything else. Truck, so and um, but we tell them in a, uh, per month they should be expecting four thousand dollars a month. But the reality is we see investors making up to eight thousand dollars a month on our platform with good running trucks. Truck, so the thing was, so it's like for us is if you look at the entire landscape of trucking, right? All those the eight hundred billion dollar industry, ninety two percent of all the trucking companies in that space are small trucking companies yeah. that have five trucks or less. So the smaller you are, the less likely you'll be able to go and build a relationship with a Walmart or yeah. a Procter & Gamble because you don't have enough capacity yep. to do business with them. So the way we looked at it, we said, okay, well, we can aggregate all the trucks and become the biggest, largest capacity and then go directly to the biggest shippers. So for us, we look, and you look at Airbnb, largest rental property company, but they own zero property. Yep. Look at Uber, right? Largest taxi company, but they own zero cars. Yeah. Facebook, what? The largest content um, company, but Facebook produced zero content. So it's the same way. So the same way. But it's the same way Fleeting here is now look at us as being the largest logistics company, but we own zero of the trucks. The trucks are owned by people like yourself that wants to kind of diversify their portfolio and make some money. That's a great pitch. <laughs> you might have a new customer. No cap. Um, 
This part of the podcast is brought to you by Stamps.com. Stamps.com is a perfect place where you can compare all rates, print out labels, and cut all the hustle and hectic out of your busy day to make sure you can get your packages where they need to be in a timely fashion. And on top of that, it's the holiday season, so of course it all makes sense if you got to get those, you know, presents to grandma across the country. Now, personally, me speaking, I remember one time I used Amazon back in the day. You had to actually go to the you know, post office. Bro, such a heck. Oh, my gosh. So hectic. I didn't even know what to print off. I didn't know how to scale it. I didn't know what I need to do. And I, I feel like I've just paid way too much on postage. But with Stamps.com, all of that goes out of the window. Save time and money this holiday season with Stamp.com. Sign up and use a promo code PEER2PEER. That's P-E-E-R-T-O-P-E-E-R for a special offer, including four-week trials, free postage, and a digital scale, no long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code PEER2PEER. That's P-E-E-R-T-O-P-E-E-R. And again, huge thanks to stamps.com for sponsoring this portion of the podcast. So we... we when you, when you get to that that stage in terms of um, like where you at right now, because I see a lot of articles of people uh, investing into the company and stuff mm-hmm. like that, um, I, I have noticed like I think like you referenced a lot more a lot more black people were investing in things like that, which is great. Mm-hmm. But what, what, was that a consistent theme that you kind of you know found trouble in when you trying to get the startup going, getting trying to get money from the right type of people? Because I know um, I've, I've even I heard from an interview mm-hmm. you're trying to make sure you. We're getting investments or getting people involved who also understood yeah. what you were trying to what you were trying to accomplish. Was that like something you aimed for, or this is something that kind of manifests itself as time kind of progressed? That's something that I've learned once I got into fundraising myself, right? Because what I've learned was once you take money from an investor, you're gonna be in bed with that investor for the next ten years. Yeah. So you have to be very mindful of who you're taking money from, mm-hmm. right? Because look, if I like red and you like blue. I don't know if I should take money from you because at the end of the day, you know, it might gonna it's gonna be that time where we might gonna bump head. But if blue is my favorite color, blue is your favorite color. Nine out of ten, we're gonna rock yeah, together. Sure. So it's the same way I looked at it. Like, okay, well, I want to build a business, not just, I and mean, I don't want to just take money from investors that's you know focusing just on the return. But I want to work with investors that's actually focusing on impact, right? So this is why they have a lot of social impact investors. So for me, it was just like, okay, well, how can I find investors one that can relate to me? my background, where I came from, mm. my tr- my struggles. Two was, okay, well, how can I find an investor that actually understand the problem that I'm looking to solve in the space? And as a founder myself, which is my job, because if I don't explain to you exactly what I'm doing in first 15 seconds, yeah. you won't get it, right? So I have to find ways to pitch that business for you to you for you to get it. And once you get it, then you can make a decision if you're going mm. to invest or not. So I think for me, it was just really learning how to communicate um, with investors um, how to really kind of create my own profile of what investors I want because yeah. investors themselves, they have a profile of who they want to invest in yeah, or what their sure. typical founders look like. Yeah. So in my head, I was like, okay, you know what? I want to work with investors not only understanding investment but also understand risk, right? Because that's another part we don't talk about is out of what, 60-something billion dollars that was invested in startups last year, investors already know 97% of those companies going to fail. Yeah, that's just a fact. Yeah, right. So you, as an investor, you know what you're getting into is that hey, look, there's a strong, there's a 97 percent chance that we all may fail, and that's just what it is. But the three percent of the companies that do make it, those are the Ubers of the world, yeah. those are the Airbnbs, those are the Facebooks, you know, in the world. So for us, this is what an investor is gauging for. Like, okay, well, 
it might be 15 different peers with the same idea, right? Mm-hmm. But they want to know who they're going to bet on. Is it going to be Marcel? I'm sorry, what's your name again, bro? Agent Zero. Huh? Agent Zero. Agent, well, I can't pronounce Agent, Agents. Agent, Agent Zero. Zero. Okay, Agent Zero. So, <laughs> like, you know, the ex Agent Zero, like, okay, well, if it's all three of us, right, yeah. building the same business, because nothing new under the sun. I'm not the only one with the idea, I promise you. There's probably somebody else with that same idea, but yeah. they didn't execute the way I did, right? Mm-hmm. So... When the investors looking at it, all three of us got the same idea. The investors gauging who is gonna get their money. Is it you? Is it me? Or is it you know? Is it my brother right here? Because again, <laughs> it's all right, agent zero, right? So what the investors want to know now? They want to know who they're taking a bet on. Yeah. So whoever come up more polished, mm-hmm. more understanding of what they're solving, they have a little bit more um, expertise in that same you know field that they're looking to to bring a solution in. That's who they're gonna go for. Oh, it's such a fascinating so, world. I um I watch a lot of esports and one of my favorite esports teams is Optic Gaming, or it used to be called Optic mm-hmm. Gaming. But they they added a whole bunch of investors on board that were at odds with the founder. Mm-hmm. Now this specific team was one of the, if not the most popular team at the time, mm-hmm. and it was heavily carried by the personalities on that team. People really liked the DNA of that team yes. and what they stood for. Um, but the investors never understood that, and they mm-hmm. were making decisions at odds with that all the time to the point where the founder eventually left yep. and created his own team that started shitting on his his new his like his new his yep. old team. And it was such a sad story. He eventually took his team back, mm-hmm. and he's in the process of building it back up again. But um, ever since hearing that story, uh, I was like, damn. It's, it's actually scary to, to get involved with mm-hmm. people and, like, not 100% know who they are. And um, I have three businesses here in Georgia, mm-hmm. and one of them is going to eventually in the next year or two be in the world of raising money. Got it. Okay. We technically don't need to, but it would 1 million percent supercharge our ability to, to generate revenue yep. and just have impact, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but under finding investors that would even understand content – it's almost non-existent um, because you can make the decision that makes the most money, but it almost always will come at the cost of content. Um, and so trying to find people that understand that balance is very rare. Um, and even in my experience working with plenty of like businesses across like the intersection of mm-hmm. sports and gaming, I think overtime has been the best in terms of understanding content. They've been fucking incredible mm-hmm. and House of Highlights is right there with them. But aside from that, there's not many examples of like businesses where I'd be like, yeah, if they were involved with what I have going mm-hmm. on, I'd be very confident that we'd be aligned in terms of like our direction. Correct. Um, because if what we do at the core is great content, then us compromising that to, to sell this, mm-hmm. even though we know it's going to make a couple million, is just not worth it. True. Like I'm trying to be in this game for a long time and I want this business to be worth a lot of money, but... Um, it's also about like one having a good impact on the world yep. and not compromising that for uh, short term revenue. Yep. But then two is also like, how do you even know someone well enough to like? Because that's really what you're doing. You're getting in bed with them. True. And I so I feel like I'm gonna start getting really nervous in a year or two when I have to start <laughs> like going through Don't that be. process. Don't be. But luckily, like we're on the process of onboarding like a fucking incredible guy who's yep. been able to like um, help guide us through all mm-hmm. of that. Uh, and we all kind of trust his expertise on the matter because he's he's done it before many times. So, um, yes, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just starting to now really get into the business world. Mm-hmm. It's funny because as content creators, we we all make money. Not I don't say all, but like mm-hmm. a lot of us make money, but we don't know what to do with it. That's true. Like the amount of people I'm telling you right now, mm-hmm. like 
just simple shit. Like they don't have an accountant. Nope. They couldn't tell you how much revenue they generated last year or what their expenses are. Nope. They haven't even seen a profit and loss statement in their life. They're just kind of running, gunning it. Yep. Um, but they don't have anyone to kind of like warn them or let them know that like the if you want to have wealth for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. or even if you just want to have a very like a big impact on the people that watch your videos, these are the best courses of action. Wow. Like you need an entertainment lawyer to review your contracts. Yep. Like just simple things that I noticed. And sorry to cut you off. That's actually a product right there, which you just described, right? Mm-hmm. So this is the thing. So when you're building anything in tech, this has to be a problem that you're solving for. So what you just mentioned right now is the problem for a lot of content creators. Mm-hmm. They don't understand their businesses. They don't understand nothing. This is where, again, for me, I'm thinking like, okay, well, what product can I build around that yeah. to now give to all the content creators yeah. to where they can have That'd that That'd be a too. fantastic one. Yeah. The problem is a lot of them just don't care. Like, because I have friends that I'm like, bro, mm-hmm. get an account. And, and he's like, wow, why would I need an account? I'll sit there and explain in 10 minutes why they need an account. You generate 500K a year, like, get a fucking account. Get a, oh, yeah, come on, yeah. absolutely. And, 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 but they won't do it, though, for like yeah. a year. So it's, it's like, it's not understanding the gravity of not making the smart decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think also, like, especially when it comes to content creation, a lot of people kind of delude themselves into believing that, like, What's here now is going to be here forever. True. It won't be. It won't. Right? It'll be gone eventually. I was watching Will Smith dropped a YouTube original series where his goal was in 20 weeks, he's going to lose 20 pounds and write 20 chapters Mm -hmm. for his book he just released. And throughout the series, he was losing weight and getting fit for a role while he was also finishing his Mm -hmm. book. And it was was low-key kind of powerful. And he talked a little bit about how when he was at the top of music, for some, like, he was making a lot of bad decisions. Mm. Um... But he knew that he wouldn't be there for uh, forever. Mm-hmm. And he eventually realized he wanted to make that switch into becoming a movie star. And that's him realizing, like, that just about everything is fucking temporary. That's right. And so is his movie star that's career. Right. Which is why he dropped a book or which is why he's been diving deep into, like, why you see him everywhere on TikTok a, and on he's YouTube. He's investing as well. Yeah. He's, he's everywhere. So... Um. Yeah, I like having conversations like this because you always have like something to learn. Yep. Um. I like when I was in high school, I was really into business. I was like highest grade in all business related classes that oh, I was wow. in. Nice. I joined pitch competitions. And I placed high on some of them. I never won <laughs> any of them, but it was just something that I enjoyed doing. It's like okay, you have plenty of ideas. Um. And you're right. Like probably plenty of people have that same idea yeah. you had, and that even in content creation, yep. like, um. Who is it? I was sitting, uh, we were at the OTE arena near um, uh, Atlantic Station, and I was talking to Christopher London, and he spit out a video idea he wanted to do in the arena that I already knew I wanted to do. Wow. And literally today, a moment ago, I was talking with Duke, and he had an idea that I wanted to do, and I was like, fuck, like, we both want to do the same thing. But it's like, nothing new under the sun. Mm -hmm. But how are you going to, like, do it better than the next. Absolutely. And I think the best example is uh, we dropped a... So you watch Squid Game on Netflix? Oh, yeah. I watched that. Fantastic <laughs> series. So, like, a whole bunch of people on YouTube were, like, doing their own, like, mm-hmm. parodies or renditions of yeah. it. We... Our, our group made, like, the express decision to take our time mm-hmm. and body it. And it paid a lot of dividends. Like, our video is number one trending on all of YouTube. Wow. Like, a couple days later, we got nominated for a streaming award, which is the biggest award show on the internet. Oh, wow. Um, and that came kind of, like, off the strength of the fact that, like, hundreds of people made that video. Wow. But we just did it better. And we, we knew we were doing it better and that when we dropped it, it was better. Wow. And that it was, was kind of cool to see, like, everybody else also feel the same way um, as they watched the video. So no, that's um, good. congratulations on that, man. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. But yeah, I'm kind of like, 
I see a lot of people do what I'm doing. And it's like, I actually don't believe I have anything like really fucking special to offer that mm. like John might not have or Lowe might not have. It's just about like how I'm willing to do it better. Mm. Um, and that's kind of kind of define my life really is I just always try harder than the next person. Absolutely. Um, and that's the, that's the thing. That's just in anything we do, man. We just got to, because it's always going to be somebody wants your spot, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Whether it's in relationship, whether it's in business, even in our own personal life, somebody is waiting for you to slip and get on that spot. So it's like you got to be on your, you got to be on top of your game. Like you're standing on the Xbox and the PlayStation at the same time, <laughs> like to really like to stay alive in anything that you're doing. But you absolutely right, man. Like you said, those are the issues that you know when you get into business, you get into bed with investors, you don't know what can happen. This is why, again, as you, as the founder yourself, you have to do your due diligence on who you're going to take money from. Mm-hmm. Find out about other companies that, in, that investor invest in. Mm-hmm. Find out another founder that he invested in and ask that founder, hey, how's the relationship with this investor? Is mm-hmm. this investor really supportive? Is this investor really, you know, there's, a good There's person? a lot of drama in, in the investing. Is there a lot Absolutely. of... Yes, yes, there is. There's, low man, key, I've dabbled is. in it. No cap. There is. It is fascinating. It is. It's like, I'll be talking to somebody and they'll like say something like low key, like backbiting on the next man. Yeah. And oh, I'll be yeah. like, yo, you and this person had beef. What's going on? Yeah. And he'll let me know, like, yo, yeah, this and this happened with this person. It's happened multiple times with me. It's Investors, hell, yeah. You know, Investors are arguing like with each other. Not every relationship is going to have a positive outcome or ending. Correct. Um, but you want the positive outcome. 100%. Regardless. That's what you want to fight for. Every yeah. time, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like there's so much at, at odds. I think I wish more people would talk about these issues. For example, uh, there's this one of the biggest streamers on planet Earth. His name is Nick Merckx. And he, he streams over on Twitch. He pulls, like, 20,000, 30,000, probably more than that, viewers every time he goes live, wow. which is rivaling, like, some, some of the biggest, like, television shows. And, but he does it over the duration of, like, 12 hours relative to, like, a one-hour wow. polished show. It's just him in his bedroom. Wow. So, um, but he, he was helping build this esports organization, mm-hmm. and the founder at the time reportedly promised him 5% equity, mm. but for, like, a whole bunch of, like... Um, for a whole bunch of logistical reasons, he couldn't get it in the moment, mm. but he was promised it, and it just never came, and he was highly upset. That same org now yeah. is worth $500 million, so if... Oh, yeah, if he didn't want to give it to him. If he had that 5%, he's like, he's going to dilute the investors, ah. Uh, he didn't want to give it and to him. And I remember hearing that drama thinking, like, <laughs> man, people don't understand the gravity of that 5%, because nah. that, that's like 40, 50 million right man, there. Man, hell yeah, that 5%. <laughs> man, listen, I know people that invested in, what, $25,000 in Uber before they went... IPO, wow. $25,000 investment and literally made $50 million. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> you understand what I mean? So, that's crazy. Nah, so those 5% that do add up. But mm. if he really wanted to give that guy those equity... He could have done it. He could have done he it. Because again, like I said, there would have been a... To give somebody equity for whatever value that they bring, he could either put them as an advisor, mm-hmm. right? And say, hey, look, this person is there for this and this is the amount of you know equity I'm going to give you. And it don't have to, you don't have to give the whole 5% mm-hmm. up front. So this is why we have a vesting schedule. So if I promise that I'm going to give you yeah, 5%. Yeah, you give it over time. Correct. I'm not just going to say, yo, you sign right here, and then boom, you have 5% of my company. Shit, what happened if you don't work out in the first 30 days? Right? Yeah. What happened if you can't execute? Yeah. Now there's somebody that walked away with 5% of my company, yeah. but they're no longer in the company. Mm-hmm. So you will put a vesting schedule in place for that. So you say, okay, you know what? Let's do a milestone. Every, every quarter, you know, every, um, every year, X, Y, and Z of that 5% is going to be vested. Right? So you just say, okay, well, let's just say one five percent. So you're talking about almost just what one point per year, right? Yeah. That's going to be vested. 
So if that person come and work for you and they only did six months, mm-hmm. well, guess what? They're only, instead of instead of them walking away with the one point, they walk around with like point, like half a point, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because they didn't do the whole year. Yeah. They only worked for six months and it didn't work out. You fired them. So yeah. now, yeah, so that six months, that half a point that he got, that's vested. Because he worked for those six months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the shares, it goes back to the company because, again, that person didn't finish the entire... It usually used to be like a four-year cliff mm-hmm. for those things. So it's like, but if there's anything happening before that term, you know, you terminate the person or it didn't work out, at least now you don't have shares out there. Except Because here's the sad part about that. Imagine that happened. You give somebody 5% of your company and it didn't work out. Now they're gone, right? But you, you still head down in the company every day, growing that company and mm-hmm. growing the valuation of that company. That person is living their best life, but you over here busting your butt yeah. to give his 5% value. Yeah. Because the more you grow the company, the more his 5% going to grow. Now, imagine now you go on IPO, right, or $20 billion valuation. Now, you know that 5%, just like we were saying, that 5% is $50 million. You're going to be mad as hell. Like, yeah. yo, I'm about to give somebody $50 million that didn't do shit, that didn't even support me when I was going through everything that I've went through, mm-hmm. but I'm about to just cut them a check because yeah. on paper, I agree to give that person this percentage. So th- those are the things that, again, I think as any founders, get an attorney, man. Get you a real startup attorney yeah, yeah, yeah. that understand those processes, that understand that those startup attorney? Startup a lawyer. Yeah, startup attorney. Interesting, yeah. yeah. So it's very I, important. Yeah, I was working with an entertainment lawyer um, for some time that um, I like to work with lawyers that charge by hour instead of by percentage. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just better for what, what I need out of it. But, um, yeah, like we, like a lot, a lot of this stuff is like the first time I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm kind of like asking questions and trying to learn along the way. And, and you know, what the sad part is to me is that like on the spectrum of people that make content online, mm-hmm. I'm like more business minded, but in terms of business people, I'm like on the opposite side of the cliff of mm. I really don't know what I'm doing at all. <laughs> so I think it just goes to show like how many people in the content world need to check, tap in with the more business side yeah. because there's missed opportunities there. And from time to time, I'll see content creators like do it perfectly. And it always kind of makes me proud because it's like it takes a certain type of someone to sure. not know business, see an opportunity and then go learn what they need to learn to Absolutely. take advantage of the opportunity. But that's the problem with us, though, especially with minorities, man. It's like um, perfection is what always kills us. We always trying to be perfect before we execute. Like, you understand? Perfection is like the number one dream killer. Mm -hmm. Because you worrying about, man, I got to be perfect in order to start this business. Just like you just said, and I think that was a powerful statement that you've made. It's like, yeah, you look like, yeah, you know a lot of it, but really and truly you don't in a sense, right? But what that is is that that's bold. A lot of people wouldn't even do that saying, I don't know this, but I'm still going to put myself out there and learn it. That's mm-hmm. how you become a master in that craft. Yeah. Like I always tell people, you don't have to be polished to start, but you have to start in order to become polished. Mm-hmm. So pretty much it's just go out there, make a fool out of yourself. It's going to happen. Like in a saying, you're going to play yourself. You're going to embarrass yourself. But that's part of the game. It comes with the territory. So that's why I always tell entrepreneurs, man, don't be afraid. Just launch already. Just go ahead mm-hmm. and go straight. I'm going to give this quick analogy, right? Like, when people wait to be perfect to launch something, it's like, imagine you sitting at a red light, right? Mm. And the next light is red also, right? But now let's say your light turned green, the one that you're under, it yeah. turned green. But the other one is red. It's like you're saying, you know what? Although this light is green, I'm not going to move until the red light turned green. So in reality, you never go nowhere because by the time your green light 
turn red, that's when that light is green. Mm-hmm. So you end up sitting in one place and never go nowhere. Yeah. But the reality, all you have to do is at least get to the first light. Yeah. And then you worry about the second light. Yeah. So I always tell people, man, like, listen, look, get to where you got to go. Like, you don't have to be perfect. You're going to learn everything along the way. Just mm-hmm. like me, I don't know anything about, I don't know how to code. I don't know how to build software. Right? I don't know nothing about tech. I don't know, about, you know, I didn't know about raising venture capital. But the more I was going out there embarrassing myself, the more I was going and making a fool out of myself, the more I started learning. Like, mm-hmm. okay, well, I may not know the exact do's, but I know the don'ts. Yeah. You see what I mean? And that will always make things a lot easier. Yeah. What do you What do you think was like the? Because uh, I, I I hear a lot of conversation, especially with um, uh, younger black people. Like they, I think I think it's so odd to me that you know people go to school for I mean essentially thirteen years of their life, mm-hmm. and like they end high school and with no and it's not really their fault, but it's just how the school system is. Like there's no actual financial literature really taught at all, and it's, it's to me it's crazy because there's so many other things they they teach people that they never end up using, and just again just bare basic financial literacy is just gone. And even when you go to college, unless you go to college for maybe like business or something mm-hmm. like that, you still don't really even learn it. And I find that like very fascinating because I feel like the same mistakes are being made every single generation, which mm-hmm. is crazy to me. And I hear people, and I, I like the reason why I, I want to even have, I had you on here and then you know, Tia, my girl, mm-hmm. um, I found it interesting because a lot of people ask all the time about financial help in, mm-hmm. in, in the mm-hmm. comment in our comment section. So what do you what do you think is like just a piece of information you can kind of share with some of the younger audience, them coming out of high school or coming out of college, something that you found consistent throughout your life that kind of aids you financially? Because I feel like that's something that is always missed, not only, um, especially with black people. Mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. definitely missed with black people. So what do you, something like you can just kind of pass along? It don't have to be pertaining to business. It can just any form of financial um, advice. Yeah, um, for financial, on the financial uh, advice side is number one, I, just like we was just um, talking about, you know, college, right? And again, we don't want to sound like we're vilifying people that goes to college, right? So we want to no, make no, sure no, that, no, that, that is cool. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, no. correct. Because, you know, no, some no. people would be like, oh, wait, what happened uh, now? No, uh, no. You know, but uh, you would just have to get there. So, but the thing is, you know, I would say to those people is when you're ready to go to college, right, don't just go and get a degree just to make your family proud. Because a lot of times, that's what we do. We go to school because we want to make my mom, you know, our mom proud, yeah, which sure. is cool, which yeah. is okay. Yeah. But at the same token, think about you. Think about what is it that you're passionate about. Think about what something that you would do for free mm-hmm. for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And one, that's and I think that's how you could find what your passion is. Like, find something that you know that if nobody was paying you, that you would do it for free because it brings you joy. So that's one way I would definitely um, talk about these entrepreneurs, like, you know, to get into something. But... The real thing is, is not to look at nothing from a monetary like standpoint, right? Yeah. You have to look at impact first. You have to look at, okay, well, yes, I know you want to make money. We all in business to make money, yeah, right? Sure. But the question is, how are you going to approach adding values into somebody else's life? How are you going to help somebody get what they want? Like they say, right, the more you help people get what they want, you eventually get what you want. But the, the the problem is we put the cart before the horse a lot of times. Oh, we just want to make money. We just want to make money. We just yeah. want to make money, but not actually adding real values. So my real advice to, to those entrepreneurs is, number one, man, we live in 2021, man. We live in a information age. Yep. You can make money on about anything these days. Look, we was yep. talking about content, right? You can make money on YouTube. You can make money on Instagram. There's so many different hustles sure. that you can make. So I would definitely say, hey, look into that, right? Mm-hmm. Look into those hustles and, you know, 
What is it that you can do right now? And when you get that money, what is the end goal? Like, you have to have a plan. You have to have at least a two-year plan, a five-year plan, and a 10-year plan. And you have to ask yourself, okay, well, what is it that I need to do to get me off the hump for my first year plan? Just like me, again, I had to swallow my pride and clean windows. Most people won't do it. But, again, like this says, like, we have to be willing and able to do the things that other people want so we can live the best, you know, best time of our lives. So I think you have to really find out what that niche is. What is it that you're passionate about? What is it that, you know, you you would love to learn about? And I would say, you know, start meeting people in that field. Start meeting people that already done it. Start meeting people that probably fell at it already. And that could give you some pointers. And we talked about um, college, you know, these people going to school and getting an education. The problem is that is, and I always talk about this twofold, is you have, you can learn from a theory standpoint or you can learn from a practical uh, practical standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. So college, yeah, it's going to teach you theory, right? And theory is going to say, okay, well, you get a pilot, you put a pilot in that plane, you turn the plane on, it's going to take off. Yeah, for sure. Easy. But practical is a different monster. Practical yeah. is like, man, you really have to know your stuff. So I yeah. think this is where a lot of times, like, you know, when people go to school for businesses and they kind of feel like they really don't even know how to run businesses because they're just kind of learning it in theory. Yeah. And the best way you get the practical aspect of it is actually doing it. It's jump. Yeah. Like like I always tell people, man, jump off that goddamn building and hopefully by the time you hit the ground, you'll grow a pair of wings. Like, you understand? Just, yeah. just jump. So, I mean, there is no, um, like, secret source especially in today's age, you understand, yeah. to build capital. Like I said, there's, you, you could do investment. Now, crowdfunding, again, that's another thing that's a lot easier to do because with investing, you can't just invest in my company. I don't care if you have $500,000 or a million dollars. If you're not an accredited investor, I can't take money from you, mm. right? So that, that was a way of keeping, you know, the rich, getting richer and richer yeah. because, again, now, if, I'm, if I have a certain status... I could be in a room with Jason when he was building Uber, right? Mm-hmm. So guess what? I could write him a check. But if you don't have that status, how could you even have access to go in that room for yeah. you to make to write a check, you understand, for $10,000? Yeah, so that make it hard. So what crowdfunding does, it democratizes that process. It says instead of just, you know, institutional investors just having access to founders in those companies and investing them very early on, we want to extend that to the public. Mm-hmm. So what that does, it now allows you to invest into a startup company and put $1,000 in there, put $5,000 in there, and still be an equity holder in that company. Mm-hmm. And that 1000 may sound small, but, like, you know, if a company turned out to be like an Uber or Airbnb or Amazon, that could, yeah, th- sure. could be very significant. So yeah. I think those are ways that I think entrepreneurs should really start thinking about building, um, you know, some cash flow. Mm-hmm. And I think it's not just, again, building cash flow. Back to your point, it's like, okay, well, you know, at some point in time, this may run out, right? Mm-hmm. What is the end goal? What are you going to do with it? So I, I just say, you know, like, focus on your passion, man. Focus on the things that, you know, that you know that's going to not only change your life, but that's going to change the people around you. That's going to change your community. Yeah. And I guarantee you, man, the more you learn and pour into people, the more you make money. And to be honest with you, I, I know I say about all this money in trucking, I really didn't start making money until I start really pouring into people. Until mm-hmm. I start really coaching other people on how to get into trucking, yeah. teaching other drivers how to become entrepreneurs, you understand? Teaching especially the uh, minorities, you understand? Formerly incarcerated men and women. That's yeah. that's my passion. I'm passionate about coaching those people mm-hmm. how to get into trucking. But that's when I really started seeing a blessing is when I was really started pouring into other people and it started pouring back into me. I wonder how you feel about, um, and you probably get this question a lot, but I've never heard the answer, so I'm going to ask it. How do you feel about um, companies like Uber, or even Tesla trying to um, rem- remove human drivers from the equation 
Oh, yeah, I meant to ask that question. That's a good question. Now, man, I get that question all the time. Um, Autonomous. Well, so the way we have to think about autonomous, right? So, one, I don't want to say I'm totally against autonomous trucks because I could see where it can add some values. But before we get into the whole idea that, hey, we're going to wake up one day and just see nothing but driverless trucks on our highway, we're still some years away because, number one, we don't have the infrastructure yet. Agreed. To support that, right? And two, one, the things that I do see working for autonomous truck is the platoon model they're talking about. And even with that, there's still a lot of challenges so on you that. Gotta explain that so a platooning model is just saying, okay, well, I could get one truck, oh, yeah, one driver, and each follow, yeah, follow each right. other and have like seven trucks following yeah. a line, right? Yeah. Going to one place. Now, here's the challenge that I see with it. Again, back to the infrastructure point. On the highway, yeah, we could take, 10 trucks from California and get them to, to New York. But when we get into the last mile, is that truck going to drive itself into the city? Yeah. You understand where it's very congested? Is that truck going to back? Have you, have you been in a Tesla down? before? Uh, Tesla truck? Or no, like just any Tesla. Yes. Yeah. So um, it's so fucking cool how it works because they all learn from each other. Mm-hmm. And every time one makes a mistake, it reports it to the system, and then the next one won't make the mistake. That's which is how why, data like, works. Yeah, which is why, like, the, the autopilot keeps getting more and more expensive. Absolutely. So I remember when my friends got it, it was, like, three bands. Now it's, like, 12 bands to yep. get that same autopilot. Correct. But you're right. It is a while, a ways away because sometimes nah, if the lines aren't drawn properly on the road, it won't know where to go. Exactly. Um, so it's... But let me... Sorry to cut you off. Now, this is where it becomes... Now, if every car that was on the road was Tesla, it will be a lot easier. Mm-hmm. because a Tesla car can easily communicate with each other yeah, in a yeah. sense where it's like, okay, well, we won't hit each other. Now, mm-hmm. if every car in the U.S. was Tesla, then it would be a thing. So that's the thing. When you talk about autonomous and putting these trucks on the highway and you still got regular people there, you got people driving and texting. Yeah. yeah, you got women driving and doing makeup, right? You got dude driving and doing all types of things. So imagine now you're driving next to that truck with nobody in it. That truck sometimes can't make those decisions to save your life. You see what I mean? So, and that's the challenge that we're having. But the biggest challenge that I see on the platooning model is once they are lo- that truck gets to New Jersey to get into New York, they're going to need... So, okay, if one driver drive down with 15 trucks, mm-hmm. right? Because it was following. When he gets to Jersey, you're going to need at least 14 drivers to be readily available to jump in each truck yeah. to go do the final mile delivery. So, what I see is autonomous will actually create more trucking jobs than it will eliminate trucking jobs. But another point that I would like to add is that if we can really focus on teaching truck drivers or investors like yourself that want to get in trucking, if we can teach you how to become financially literate today, you become the owners of the autonomous trucks. Because if you own a truck today, you're making money, right? Guess what? Now you understand the game. If it does become a thing, you become the owners of the autonomous trucks. So that's my goal is that, okay, well, I try to tell drivers, don't panic, Right. Uh, technology is really sometimes, I know we look at it like, okay, well, this is going to take my job away. But sometimes we have to look at technologies. Okay, how can this make our world better? Yeah. You see what I mean? Like, without technology, like with technology, we do surgeries, man. Like, in a saying, technology is carrying a lot of things. And I'm not, I don't want to say that I'm just all pro-technology. Like, you know, a lot of AI stuff I don't agree with. Yeah. Like, you see what I'm saying? But when you really think about from a human evolution standpoint, what technology can do for us can really be amazing. But I just want truckers to not be panicked and thinking that, oh, man, these robots are coming to take my job. Okay. Now is the time to become financial literate to where, you know, if that do happen, you at least you understand your numbers, you understand the market to where now, sure, you can have five, six trucks running for you and 
with no drivers in them if that time do come. True, true, true. And that's, that should be the goal for every truck driver, for them to become the real entrepreneurs tomorrow to own. How much, is like a, how much is like a generic new truck? How much does it cost? Generic new truck is going to cost you about 120 130 Damn, that's helicopter prices. Yeah, yes, sir. And if you're talking about a Peterbilt, <laughs> almost a quarter of a million. Into a helicopter. What's wrong with you? It's used heli- like old bus, like bus stuff. Used helicopters, one fifty. You feel me? Wow. That's how yeah. I think about everything. I just think about okay. like a helicopter. Well, so you like doing good, man. Like you buying helicopters, helicopters yeah, man. Right. I know shit yeah, like that, right, bro. Like, Casually <laughs> comparing things to helicopters. For real, dude. Like, <laughs> shit, you could do package deliveries, goddamn <laughs> I'll start a package delivery on helicopters, like, you know? Oh, yeah. So, on that note, um, I saw, I read a couple articles. I don't know how soon it, it would come out, but mm-hmm. Amazon is experimenting with delivering packages Drone. through, like, drones. So, yeah. um, in the name of, like, finding solutions... Um, so like, for example, I ordered a toothbrush yesterday mm-hmm. and this shit got delivered the same day. It was spectacular. Of course. Um, shout out to Amazon. But in my head, shout I thought, out to like, the drop. Shout out to the truckers to the Amazon. Shout out to the drivers. Because so, without yeah, no truckers, yeah, that package would not oh, get to you. Except, <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. Those yeah. are fantastic people. And it's usually the same ones that come here. Like, I recognize True. them. I order so many things. But um, in my head, I thought like, damn, because it was delivered today, I know mm-hmm. it, it was probably in some fulfillment center uh-huh. down the street. I was like, in the, it would be a neat case scenario for a drone to just come pick something up, drop it off. Correct. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know why. Like, because I've been so removed from mm-hmm. the world that you're in. In my head, I thought like, I don't know. I couldn't name you a trucker. I don't mm. know a single person who trucks. Wow. But that's because of the bubble I live in. That's true. There's a lot of people who truck. That's true. Is it the most popular job in America? Or yeah, I would say yes. Trucking is one of the most popular jobs in America because, like I said, for every three cars you see on the highway, it's 15 trucks. Yeah. In a sense. Um, and it's, it's, it's wild. All the technology that we have, it's still, like, the only way that we can deliver packages. No, absolutely. In, inside communities. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Now, I just, the, the drone part, now, I, I've heard the same thing about what Amazon, what they're doing with the drone. So, mm-hmm. still, there's going to be around a lot of regulation around that with the FAA, right? Mm-hmm. Because, again... Just think, right? You ordered a toothbrush. It's one thing. Now, let's just say your kid is outside playing basketball and the drone is freaking taking, maybe you got six of those cameras in a box that's coming to deliver to you and something malfunctioned in that drone and boom, it dropped, right? People can start getting hurt mm-hmm. when you start having drone doing delivery. So it's what, again, it's not one of those things we just say, hey, look, yeah, it sounds like a, a good idea. Let's execute on it. There's a lot of regulation around that, especially with the FAA. Yeah. Is it the FAA? I'm saying it right. Yeah, federal. I'm pretty, yeah, I think yeah, it's something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know. Right? Talking, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know all the acronyms for trucking, so I don't know about anything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but technology is cool. I think like we're fascinated by it because it's new. It is. But honestly, I think like 20 years from now, people are gonna look back and be like, "Damn, this technology sucks." Um, because a, a, a computer being smarter than a human is dangerous. It is Absolutely. dangerous. I, I don't know why nobody like wants to admit it. I guess it's cool to see a Tesla drive by itself, but like the fact that the YouTube engineers are less smart than the YouTube algorithm, and the YouTube engineers are some of the smartest people on the fucking mm. planet, is fascinating to me. The the algorithm just learns itself. Absolutely, it get feeds better. You videos that yep. even you didn't know you wanted. That's true. I don't know if you That's know this, true. but YouTube, on, yeah. Like this video right here, mm-hmm. YouTube is analyzing frame by frame the data on here. They could tell based on how I'm looking at the camera whether or not I'm smiling, happy, whether or not I'm nervous. And they'll tell you there's a 57% certainty that he's uh, nervous right now. Mm. And this is his face. Wow. They could tell that this is a picture right here. They might not be able to make out his mm-hmm. Kendrick Lamar, but that's a fucking smart Oh, algorithm. hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah. Like, Man, that's insane. Hell yeah. That- 
to the point where you don't even need to tell YouTube what your video is. They'll transcribe it for you with their own auto um, closed captions. Wow. So they know what you're, what you're saying. They know where you are and what's being done. And then they know like, oh, okay, John loves watching videos of Megan Thee Stallion yep. twerking. We're going to feed him this, <laughs> this other music Every day. video because that's, what, that's the type of shit he likes. But that's so fascinating to me because it's, it's cool, but it's like also, damn, what if we start applying that in ways that is not helpful to our daily lives? And I will mean, even help deteriorate like our overall quality of life. Of course. Eventually it will because there's a thing, right? Remember, the people that are building those software is, is guess what, human beings too, yeah, right? Exactly. And there's one thing is we can't remove sometimes is the bias within us and human beings, right? Mm-hmm. So just like, let's just say if I'm building something in, in technology, not out of time, I'm going to build it to people that look like me more than likely, to people that can relate to me, to people that probably share some experience with, right? Mm-hmm. Which is us black. Now, you take a young white kid from a suburban, you know, went to Harvard, went to Yale. He never lived in the hood. He never experienced certain things. Yeah. So when he's building something, he's not thinking about your black ass. Excuse my French, right? He's not. And, not, and again, it's not doing it because he wants to be in a like wrong like, like to do that. But again, he just just didn't know. So this is yeah. why we have a lot of issue with a lot of um, artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. just facial um, intelligence, right? Why you think it's so a lot of bias in it? Because the people that's actually building them, they're not thinking about us. You see what I mean? They're thinking about them. So again, I think to your point. Yes, it can be fascinated, but also we have to now really think about putting laws in place mm-hmm. to make sure that we account for bias into algorithm that we're building. Because to me, that's the biggest threat, not the technology, but how they can hide that bias beyond mm-hmm. software. Mm-hmm. That's the threat that I think we should worry about. Not the fact that, hey, look, yes, tech is always going to be there. It's always going to keep improving. But I think the most important thing that we need to look at is whoever is building those software, we have to make sure that there is no bias beyond those, you know, algorithm. Because mm-hmm. let's just say if there's a robot. We, we, we hear police robots all the time, right? Mm-hmm. If, a, if a white person that's building it have this idea that every black man is dangerous, yeah. so how you think he's going to build that robot? When that robot see a black person, how you think it's going to react? Yeah. Either, you understand? Yeah. So it's like those are the things that I'm more, much more concerned about mm-hmm. than the technology itself is the bias beyond those softwares. Yeah. Well, well, Pierre, you, you answered a lot of questions, but we got to put you in the hot seat for the last Ooh, segment of the, sure. of the podcast. First first question, man. First question. First question. Well, actually, I genuinely want to know. I don't know if you're going to say it or not, but what is financially the biggest mistake you made in business? Biggest mistake that like I've made in business? Money you've lost in business. That's okay. I got to think about that one. Hold up. Because I did. Oh, yeah. I lost a whole lot. <laughs> I lost a whole lot. Um, my first three trucks. Okay. Biggest mistake that I've made financially was when I go and lease them from Ryder, and I purchased them right out the gate. Okay. And so second biggest mistake, <laughs> hauling for Amazon. I know it sounds mm. crazy. Amazon, well, it's two th- I don't know how they are now. And this is not to vilify Amazon, but any, every truck driver will tell you. Yeah. And the biggest mistake that I've made was, you know, running Amazon. I thought I was making money. Couldn't manage cash flow. I was doing, what, $70,000 a week with Amazon, but I couldn't keep nothing. It's like, where the hell my money's going? So right? just going right back out? <laughs> we're right? going right back out to drivers and, you know, paying. Just still really couldn't keep anything. How much money are you talking about losing in, 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 with this? Uh, with Amazon, by the time I finally caught up, it was just almost almost a million, about 980000 Yeah. God damn. <laughs> That's Fuck. crazy. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was just, I put up a, a post asking people to apply because I'm looking for an assistant. Mm-hmm. I usually just post on Twitter uh, and IG and things of that nature. 
the amount of people that had Amazon work experience was overwhelming. Yo, it was like 75% of people at some point in their career worked at Amazon. That is insane. They run Amazon the fucking country, dog. Yeah. They have a high employee turnover. A cr- like a, like a, a an, really an alarmingly high. Yeah, yeah like employee turnover. Every, everybody I've, I've, even I know has like tried it at least for like a couple of weeks to a month. And it's like... Like a very, very high. I work for Walmart and it was it's higher than Walmart. Yep. But I heard that's actually by design. Oh, it is? <laughs> well, yeah, we don't even want to get into that, but I've heard actually that's by design oh. that it's that way. But I'm I I, I wanna that. I wanna <laughs> learn more in depth. It's yeah, like, okay, yeah. what is that design? Like what yeah, is exactly yeah. the purpose beyond that kind of turnover? Sure, is it man. because okay, because if you have that much turnover, you don't have to worry about retirement. You don't have to worry about 401k. Think about that. <laughs> so you see what I'm seeing so there's a lot of way. I'm, I don't want to say that's what it is but that's yeah. automatically that's what came to mind if I was running something like that purposely to where I don't care about the retention yeah. it's because I don't want you to work here for 20-40 years and I gotta go pay 100 million dollars in 401k no mm. let's keep the revolving door open like you know what I'm because you're never gonna stay here long enough to make it to retirement mm-hmm. so that's that's the way I probably was thinking about it it's like okay well what is it that you know they don't want to give for them to have that, because because Amazon is a pretty big company, yeah. the world hates it and love Amazon at the same time. We could talk shit about Amazon, but just like you said, oh, no, I we, you order a toothbrush and get yeah. it right away. Yeah. We order things and we get it right away. So I think everybody have that love and hate relationship with Amazon yeah. because at the end of the day, as much as you hate them, you still a consumer. You yeah. still want your stuff delivered to you. True, true. But I think it's just a matter of finding a happy medium, man. Finding uh, a balance. We all love Amazon. The world was de- delivering packages in one week before they came around. Cut it out, guys. No, Amazon. No, that's no. You can't take that <laughs> away from workers, Amazon, man. Amazon, Amazon definitely feeling that. Shit. More, more props oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. to Amazon that's they for what they've done. Them. More props for them. I wouldn't work for Amazon. I'm buying shit from them, though. Yes. I mean, I would, I would work with Amazon, and I think also too. <laughs> work with them, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but not for them, right? Yeah, for sure, for but then sure. I think working for them in a sense is like, okay, well, how can I help them solve the same challenge that they're facing? Although they are a big company, that their supply issues is is big. Yeah. It's pretty pretty big, you know, and, and they're really still trying to figure things out. And I think again, I'll be the one of the person, Amazon hit me up, you know, I'll be one of the person, they put me on the board. I, I think I'll come up with some great ideas to solve the logistic issues. Too much time on it, but theoretically speaking, the same problem that you solve with trucking, shouldn't that problem be solved with Amazon? Like, like and them overworking workers and possibly just... Absolutely. Be more flexible, like just, I'll pick up like a five-hour shift to just pick up, like shit like that. So that's why, to be honest with you, well, the goal, if you listen to Amazon in seven years, I, I hope they want to... One of the acquirers that can acquire it in seven years. So that's why our goal is let's build a real good company, yeah, yeah, a solid yeah. company like a company like Walmart or Amazon can acquire. Okay. That's what we want. We want to be able to create a, a company with the culture that promote, you know, upward mobility, that promote flexibility, yeah. you know, give people the uh, opportunity to spend time with their loved ones where they don't feel like they're just a slave yeah. Yeah. to, you know, to a job. So if we can do that from an early, at a um from early at a you know as an early stage yeah. company. Yeah. I think, you know, a, a larger corporation like a Walmart or Amazon will look at it as valuable. Like, man, not only you have a good software here that will allow us to move our goods a lot more efficiently, mm-hmm. but you also created a system that come with a set of cultures a lot of corporations are lacking. Yeah. So True. they'll love that. All right, cool. Thank you. you definitely want to work with, with Amazon. <laughs> All right, yeah. so next question Next question. Is, what's your biggest simp moment? Sick? Simp. Simp. Oh, simp moment. <laughs> the way he so I didn't that. even know what simp was, right? Till somebody put me on blast mm. on IG. <laughs> so I didn't know what it was. So uh, this young lady did a post. She's actually in trucking as well. Uh, 
Uh-huh. Uh, and then she did a post, like, you know, saying, yeah, she got her trucking company running, uh-huh. you know, in a male-dominated industry, something like of that. Course. And here I am, I was like, oh, nah. I was like, yo, when I said I was like, there ain't no male-dominated industry. I was like, yo, don't let, don't, don't let the world, food, like, feed you that BS or that men run ish. I said, men don't run ish. Women run ish. Mm-hmm. Like, you understand? Mm-hmm. And this other dude, he's like, dude, get your simple ass out of here, man. Like, telling her, like, men don't run the world. He's like, nigga, you know we run the world. Like, why is you telling that woman that we don't? So he called me a simp. I think I was telling you about it. I was like, what is a simp? I didn't even know what that means. He's like, man, you being a simp. So that was my biggest simp, and I got caught up on social media. So, yeah, I didn't get... The only reason why I believe you, you never really sent before is because you sound like an extraordinarily hard worker. Oh, so yeah. I, yeah. So I don't really think you'd be spending that much time simping. So, oh, no, no, I don't, man. To no, be honest, no, no, no. My, my girl will tell you, man. Mm, no. <laughs> nah. She's like, nah, that nigga don't. Nah. That nigga just be man, I, barely, I barely have the time. My girl is with me because, again, because of her, you know, like, she's she has determination. She's very motivated, yeah. and, you know, she learned from me. I learned from her, mm-hmm. and she didn't want to give up. She, she knew how busy I was. She's like, no, I don't care. I'm going to be around. I'm going to make, you know, make sure that I support in some type of way. But she, she'll tell you, like, even sometimes with her, like, I have to be like, look, I don't have time for you right now. Let's, you're going to have to put that to the side. We're going to have to get to that another day. So this is the next question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, top, the top five things you look for in a woman. Ooh, good. Ah, man, top five things. Number one, definitely listening. Okay. Somebody that can listen. You writing this down, John? Number two, accountability. Right? Okay. All right. Number three, definitely motive, self-motivated. Okay. Right? Number four, I definitely say to... Um, number four, I would say pretty for sure. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna put the look in there. I'm gonna put the look in there. You gotta look good. You gotta look good. I mean, unfortunate, but like I said, beauty is like what's what's the thing they say? Beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. Oh, yeah. So yeah, but whatever my beauty is, you know what I'm saying to me. So I have sure. to find that. All right, John. I hear. I, I see you, though. I yeah. See you. I see you. Though. I see. You. I see. You. And the fifth thing, I would definitely say, um, a woman that kind of have a sense of. How can I? What's the best word I can use for that? Like emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. right? Somebody that can really, really be a leader within their own world, mm-hmm. right? Somebody that doesn't necessarily depend on me for their own, like for their own happiness. It's somebody that's self sufficient. So they, I would say, self sufficient and you know, with emotional intelligence. That's a unique. That's a, that's a good five, though. Yeah, no, okay. that's, a, that's a good five. Yeah. It's a top five, top five. <laughs> top five, top five. Top. Um, what's the, what's the other what's the other questions? Other questions. Um. <laughs> Go ahead, let it out. Let it out. Let it out. That's, that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good funny question. Come on. Which one? Which one? <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, yeah, man. You, you know what? You've been skipping a lot of questions this podcast. <laughs> no, I don't know what's the question. I don't know what's the question. Oh, really? You don't know? What is it? You said dead ass? I said dead ass. I don't remember the other question. Put it on something. Put it on something right now. On what? Huh? On baby? (laughs) You You said that in the back. That's that's what it means, right? Put it on something that's like a bet, right? Yeah. 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 (laughs) What do I put it on? I I dead ass don't remember what's the other question. If you remember, can you please just go? No, I mean, I conveniently forgot it too. This is crazy. John, did you forget it or did you know it? 
I ain't forget nothing. <laughs> you, see, you, see this, you see this big guy? He's scared. He's real pussy. I don't know. I don't know if you didn't know. Well, I, I do. I do. Be quiet now. You, you lost your turn. All right, go ahead. Go. The ask question for... is, what's your horniest moment? Oh, oh your man, horniest moment. Oh, moment. Oh, shut okay. your ass up, man. <laughs> this man, full of shit. Yo, it's funny what I found. My horniest moment is in the freaking morning. In the right, morning. in the morning, like like yeah, like are you talking about like like a, a an event in your life that we were like, oh an event where like like, like, like yeah. low Yo, like crowd like, humping everything yeah <laughs> like <laughs> it was like the horniest day of your life who no cat when then I the fact out. that I can't answer that I think it's bad it sounds like I have a lot of horny days in my life like sir oh, oh, <laughs> I'm sorry so hold on. <laughs> I'm a Scorpio guy, so excuse me. So um, I know we all men True. here, but I do have a girl. So hold up, let me see. Um, you can pass on the question too, but it, it's we have had nothing you say will breach the top ten of what we've heard. Mm, in this. Okay, good. Well, I'm not trying to beat it, so that's <laughs> for sure. I'm not trying to beat the top ten, but I think I think it was when I really. First came here to America from Haiti. Trying to bust I, down everything. No, not even that. I couldn't bust down nothing. I ain't speak no English, and nobody was giving me no buns. Oh, wow. <laughs> Are you speaking French? So, Creole, yeah. So yeah. it was like one of my horniest moments in life, I think. Because I think I went for a while, man, before I really That's got some. So... <laughs> Man, I'm yeah. in Brooklyn, they ain't giving it up to the Creole. No, like man, I don't know if you know, in the early 90s, man, dark skin dudes wasn't getting played. Remember that? If he was in light skin with braids like my man right here, I wouldn't get no plays. Thank, yes. God for, uh, thank God for Wesley Snipe, you know, that make dark skin brothers start popping. But nah, we wasn't getting no play in the 90s. Like, you know, it was like, man, get your black ass out of here. Like, don't nobody want to talk to you. And especially around that time, it was, nobody wanted to be Haitian. They would call you Haitian booty scratcher. No, the hate they were saying yeah, Haitians is the one. They said Haitians is the one. Crazy. I'm telling you. That's crazy. That was real. Like, yeah, they were calling you Haitian booty scratching around that time. They were saying Haitians. African booty scratching. And Haitian. African booty scratching. But I knew Haitian too. I, I Haitian booty scratchers or HBO. Fun. Haitian body odor. Like, yeah, it was just. Man, I'm telling you. HBO. Yeah. That's crazy. So that was really like, when we dealt with that, man, you know, around that time, I don't know if y'all know. You know, this is not even something to laugh about, but they were saying that, you know, Haitians brought AIDS into America. So nobody yeah, really yeah. wanted to touch, you know, deal with Haitians. It was all propaganda, you know? But that was, yeah. you know, it was really, really tough. Like I said, in 1997, to try to get a girl to talk to you, whew, man, good luck. Good luck. If you was anything, I mean, looking like me, you speak no English, you over here sound like, hello? I like, like, you don't even, like, nobody want to talk How'd to you, you bro. I learn English out of curiosity. Well, I had no choice. I had no choice because I came, when I came here, um, I came, what, September 1997, and I had to go straight to school that same year. So I was in school with the Americans, and I didn't speak no English at all. Mm. But the good thing is I, I spoke English in three months. I learned English in three months. What? Oh. Yeah, in three months I was speaking English. I became fluent in English, but... That's because, like, really speaking fluently, like, in three months, I was speaking English. Like, literally, yeah. Ask my fluent in Like, literally, in three months. How were you? I was what? Four, um, 15. How the fuck is that possible? Yeah, 15. <laughs> in three months, I, I mean, I still had the heavy accent. Like, you know what I'm saying? You were still like... But you it could, wasn't like broken. But, yeah, no, I was really... Because remember, you're going to school, number one, now you have friends. Yeah, for, you had no choice but to understand. You understand? What they were saying. What they were saying so, so how many and I got languages both, do you know? Three. English, uh, French, and Creole. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was... I just know two. 
Well, that's good. You know two languages? Yeah. yeah. What's the What's second that? one? I know English and South Atlanta. That's it, man. <laughs> <laughs> South that's Atlanta. It. That's it. That's all I know. John know East Atlanta. I know South Atlanta. Oh man, that's it. Well, if that's the case, then I know more than three. Then I know. I know the Brooklyn <laughs> English. And I, I know the Brooklyn oh, English, and I also now know the corporate English. So maybe they... that's a fact. That's, <laughs> a fact. that's a fact. That's a fact. Well, you got any more? Any more? I'm dead. I, I, I forgot the other questions. Is that, is that the last one? Yeah, it is. All right, man. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Pierre, for coming on, man. I, I really do appreciate it because I think I think um. I don't use an episode that people want to mm-hmm. gain a lot of information on. But I think, you know, after I um, read a lot of the information and stuff, like, very, very interesting life. Thank you, man. Very, very interesting life. Congratulations on all the success and stuff like Thank that. You. And hopefully it continues to grow and stuff like that. Any any final words before we wrap it up? Anything else you want to say? Yes, yes, absolutely. So I want to say one positive word that I always want to leave the world with okay. is best thing ever invented to mankind is another 24 hours. Mm. And with another 24 hours, we can change our perception. We can change our surrounding, right? Mm-hmm. We can change our biology and eventually change our realities. So definitely that's what I want to leave the world with. And all the entrepreneurs that's out here listening, you know, if they're interested in getting into trucking, um, if you're a truck driver, you're listening to this, yeah. or if you're somebody and say, hey, look, man, I want to get in trucking. I want to do it the right way. Um, please reach out. Mm-hmm. Um, I am in the process of putting an entire course together of everything that I went through in trucking, the do's and don'ts, and how to be successful, how to stay alive in trucking, how to grow. So, you know, just connect with me. Follow me on Instagram, Pierre underscore Legear 5. And if you somebody that owns a truck that's sitting and you can't find a driver, you want us to take care of your truck for you, um, our website is www.fleeting.us. Mm-hmm. So, again, my social, all my social media page is Pierre underscore Legear 5 on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You'll find the same Pierre Legear okay. on LinkedIn as well. So, but my whole thing is I'm now, I'm passionate. I want to teach, especially minorities, especially men, uh, formerly incarcerated men and women, is how to get into trucking because I think now we live in an age where a lot of people are buying information from people that never spent a day in trucking, mm-hmm. but they're selling these courses, calling themselves gurus or goat in trucking, but never spent yeah. a day in operation. And I just want to tell people, just stay tuned. I'm going to put something out that's going to give them the real experience, the real knowledge on what they need to do to be successful in trucking. Sounds great. Sounds great. Yep. Thank you again for coming on. Any final words, Agent? Mm-mm. John? Nope. nope. Well, shout out to my podcast, people. Thank you all for rocking with us. Another episode of Peer to Peer Podcast. All links will be in the description. Check out Pierre. Uh, also, shout out to my um, audio people, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Tuna Rates a five-star. Shout out to my YouTube people as well. Make sure you hit the link, links in the description. Hit the subscribe button and the notification bell to join. Oh, I'm sorry. Pierre Laguerre, man, I'm sorry. Oh, I was supposed no, to say no, something. No, 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 oh. no, I'll, do it, I'll do it again. Oh, do it again. oh I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Make, make sure you hit the notification bell to join. Pierre Laguerre, Fleeting. Oh, I'm sorry. What I was supposed to say? Pierre, man. I'm proud of him. Pierre to Pierre? Nah, it's fine. It's fine. No, no, no. Please, no, no, no. Let me get it right. Let me know. I got to get it right. What am I? Oh, my No, 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 no. You just hit the notification bell to join. Noti gang, 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 gang. Oh, that's what I was supposed to say. Oh, no. I ain't know, man. Repeat it. Say it again. We got to do it. All right, say But no, no, no. Don't do it yet. You say, okay, what I have to say? Noti gang, 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 gang. Noti gang. Noti gang, 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 gang. Yeah, Yo. Make sure you hit subscribe button, hit all the links in the description, and make sure you hit the notification bell to join. Nodi, oh shit, we said Nodi? <laughs> this is what we said. <laughs>
Yeah, my bad, producer. I'm sorry. See, see, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm good. Ball, I'm just gonna sorry. cut it, edit it right quick. Okay, say what was it? Gonna cut it, edit it. Noty gang, noty gang, gang. How you? Wait, just say it right quick. I can just edit it in. Yeah, like notification. Oh, notification. Okay, yeah. noty gang, 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 gang. Got you. All right, cool, cool, cool. All right, cool. Noty. Yo, shout out to my YouTube people out there rocking me strong. Hit the subscribe button. Hit all the links in the description, and make sure you hit the notification bell to join. Noty gang, 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 gang. Yes, yes sir. sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, and shout out to my word and my people out there as well, rocking with us strong on all the platforms, especially TikTok. Numbers is going crazy. Until next time, we'll see y'all later. Peace. Peace.